Well, I don't know to say good morning or good afternoon or what, <laughs> but hello. Um, um, thank you for having me, Sandy. I kind of feel like a, a duck out of water. I'm probably the newest one on the block in here, and um, I know some of you, and thank you for those who have... We've only been here about four and a half years in Ankeny, and um, so this is a whole new circle of Christians and people, so um, it's been quite a transition, and just like Desiree was talking about um, changes, it was a huge change for us um, when the Lord brought us here, and I'll talk a little bit more in a moment trying to get myself organized right here, so <clears throat> so hopefully I'll be able to get through. I have a, a little handout there, and I don't know that we will get through all of this. Um, it's kind of a, a two-part um, session, but we will we'll try to just wade through what we can. Um, and I know you all have had, oh, you've had tremendous feeding from um, the few ladies that have been up here. And I hope your heart has been hungry. I hope you came to this retreat with a hungry heart. Um, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Those that want him and want to be like him. And um, uh, the, there's a verse in Psalms that says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And God will fill us um, if we want him to. And if we come needy, uh, like we sing in the song, but so many times we just sing words. And, but I hope you're in a needy position because only as we're needy um, can the Lord meet with us? The Lord dwells with those who have a broken and contrite heart. He's close to those. And so as we look at the heart of the matter today, um, I kind of just want to go back to the main thing, and that is the heart of the matter. So I want to pray first, but again, thank you um, for what you've shared with us. And it just seems like even though we, most of us didn't, well, I don't think any four of us talked at all. In fact, I didn't know Desiree. And um, none of us shared what we were going uh, to present. But I think the Lord put it on our heart. And I think the Lord knows we're very needy in having uh, a, just a deep dependence on him. And that comes through his word. And it comes through prayer. And it comes through just saturating our heart and minds in his word. So <clears throat> let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you that we can be here, and we just thank you, Father. We have our freedom. And, Lord, help us not to take that for granted. Uh, we saw in the last few years how quickly things can change. And so I pray today as we meet what a wonderful ministry here at IRBC that you've raised up. And thank you for those in years gone by and, and Phil and his wife and the staff that are here. God, thank you for oh, just what you do through these ministries. And now we have a place to come as ladies and meet together. And 
And I know there's probably a lot of hurting ladies here, Lord. So many times we're so busy and get caught up in the hoopla, we, we sometimes overlook that. And I pray that today, whether they're hurting, whether they're away from you, Lord, um, whatever the need is today, that you would uh, meet with us. Lord, if you don't meet with us, it's just another meeting. And we go back with heads full of knowledge, which your word says puffs up. So I ask you, God, for your presence to be here. Give me your strength, your power. Keep me from saying anything that shouldn't be said. Help me to just say what's needful uh, in the short time that we have. Lord, use your word. And may we fall more and more in love with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So thank you again. Uh, we can be together. In your name I pray, amen. Um, just a little synopsis, because most of you probably don't even know me, and, and I don't know the majority of you. I, I know um, maybe 20, maybe 30, I don't know for sure, but um, I was born in Muncie, Indiana, and um, I came from a, a family of seven kids, and my parents were not saved. Um, have quite a neglected background as far as um, religions. Um, my grandma Haney was a Christian scientist. There were Presbyterians, there were Lutherans, there were Methodists, and there were Catholics. So, um, but in 1965, the Lord saw fit to save my mom and dad. And um, my father was a pharmacist. He was pretty much an agnostic, and maybe there's a God, maybe not, but he was um, a very self-made businessman. He was in politics, and, and so he really didn't need the Lord at that point in his life. And, but, you know, God is so good because he brought um, uh, men who were his managers. He had four pharmacies. Did I say that? He was a pharmacist, too. Um, he had four pharmacies, and so he had a manager over each of them. And a number of them were saved. And my parents had never heard the gospel before. You know, they, they believed in God. They were good people. They were moral people. But they had never heard about salvation. And so um, these men started slowly witnessing to my father. And as I look back, and, and this is, you know, you see the sovereignty of God, um, at that time when it was going on, I didn't, I didn't even know what the sovereignty of God was or how God worked in people's lives. But when we were little, because my parents were out in political rallies and lobbyists and so forth, um, we would have a, an elderly lady that stayed with us. And I look back and think, and I was probably about four, thinking that Mrs. Neely, she was a Nazarene, but she was saved. And she probably was the first influence of our family coming to know the Lord. And she gave us these little Bibles at Christmas, and I still have mine. And, you know, at that time, I didn't realize how precious that was. It's a little picture Bible. But, um, but years later, after getting saved and growing in the Lord, you look back and you think, wow, Lord, thank you. It's just like Joan said and others have said. Why pick us? Why pick the Haney family? And, um, but I'm so thankful the Lord did. 
And um, so my, my mom got saved first, came to know the Lord. And it was hard for her because she was a religious woman. And she couldn't understand why she was a sinner. And I share this just because to help us just to be patient with unsaved people and to love them and be their friends. Jesus was a friend of sinners. And, um, and so the Lord brought people around our family. And then on into my elementary years, we had a cleaning lady that would come. And she um, would open her Bible while she was doing all the ironing. And she would sing uh, uh, Negro spirituals. And... Um, she would just sing at the top of her lungs, you know, and we just loved Elizabeth. She was part of our family. She had nine kids of her own, but she worked for us into my high school years, and um, my mom took such good care of she and her family, even though she was working for us. But it was through those people that our family came to know the Lord, and I'll be so grateful as I look back, Elizabeth, the joy of the Lord that was all with that ironing board there, ironing our clothes, taking care of five kids and then seven kids. And um, she was just amazing. And um, so, so thankful for that. So our family got saved. And since then, a lot of our extended family, my grandparents on both sides, they did not know the Lord. They came from very immoral backgrounds, drinking and everything. And that's why you think, wow, Lord, you did a miracle when you saved this family. And it's a miracle that um, I think four or five of us in the present family um, that were in the ministry. And we don't deserve that, but um, God does what he wants. And you've heard a lot about surrender. And so, so thankful for that, that God has been so merciful. And he counted us faithful by putting us into the ministry. And we don't deserve it whatsoever. And I don't deserve to be up here. But I'm just going <clears> to <throat> try to share my heart um, a little bit with you. But um, just a little background real quick that after... Um, I went to Christian grew up in public schools, went to Christian colleges, met my husband at, in Life Action. It's a revival team ministry that travels around the country. That's where we met. Did not get married till almost three years later. <clears throat> and then um, after we graduated, finished at Bob Jones, we went to a few other schools too. We went to the wilds, and um, he always wanted to be a camp director. He grew up in camps. And he um, went to the Camp Directors Institute there. It's kind of like getting a master's in camping. Then the Lord took us to Northland, which is up in the northeastern part of Wisconsin. And um, he became the camp director there. The camp was much like IRBC in the wilds. And we saw God grow that camp in, in the college there. Then he took us to the other side of the world, uh, to Guam. And uh, we were there for almost 19 years, like Northland was 19 years. And it was very hard to leave Guam. There's a lot of color there, a lot of culture, which I like. And um, we had 16 people groups in our church. We had a Bible college for 100 Micronesians. And they were the people from the islands, the young people. 
And we had an academy of about 1,200 kids, and they were Japanese, Chinese, oh, Burmese, Vietnamese, every kind of ease you can think, <laughs> and uh, Indians and Muslims. I mean, we, it was very eclectic, but I love that, and I miss that. Um, and, and then we started a foster home um, for all the foster children on the island, which was my heart's burden because when we were at West, in Wisconsin, um, we took in some foster kids. And um, so when we went to Guam, I wanted to open a, ch a children's home, but we couldn't. Uh, so we were able to get into the foster system. And then they started looking to harvest our church to facilitate the island. And so the Lord used that. We had a pretty big widow's ministry, and I really believe that um, the, the widows and the fatherless, like it says in James, they're at the heart of God and his true religion and undefiled. And um, if your church doesn't have a ministry of such, I would ask you and encourage you to consider it. And um, then... And so that was, it was very hard to leave all that, as Desiree was talking about, just change and uh, the people we loved. And um, it's kind of like a ripping of your heart and you have to be transferred. And then we come to Iowa, and it's kind of like Indiana, but I hadn't lived in Indiana for a long time, and I was not used to just being around all white people. And... <laughs> So I thought, this is a sea of white foam, you know. Where's, where's the color? Where's the culture? So I, I ran to the nail place to meet some Vietnamese, you know, just to get my nail. I just, I got to have some color and culture. And um, Anyways, so the Lord is slowly helping me to adapt to this culture and find a new family in Christ. And can't say that it's easy, but... Um, as we learn, uh, as we surrender and say, it's not my will, Lord, it's yours, sometimes we go kicking and screaming, and I've done my share of that, <laughs> and crying my heart out, and my eyes out, and Lord, why, what is, um, but anyways, so <clears throat> that's just a little bit about me, and just so you wonder, who's that woman up there? Well, I'm kind of like probably most of you, just very needy and <laughs> just trying to figure out how to love the Lord and live for him and be ready to meet him. And that's kind of what I want to talk about in the few remaining minutes that we have. The greatest pursuit that I think we have in life is to know him and, um, and to learn to love him. And Philippians 3.10 says, that I, Paul, he said, that I might know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering. Um, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, let the, not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in the fact that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord that exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, saith the Lord. And then Ecclesiastes says, uh, 12, 13, and 14, let us hear the whole conclusion of the matter. 
Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. And that fear God there, the New Testament um, counterpart would be love. So our greatest pursuit is to learn to love the Lord, know him, learn how to love him, and then enjoy him. And that's what he wants for us. And, and Paul was very explicit when he said that. Um, our chief purpose is to glorify, enjoy him. A person who knows and understands God does not stop at accumulating facts, but pursues a personal relationship with him. David Jeremiah said that. And I think that's kind of been a thread of a theme that's been pursuing him, knowing him. And, and many people, um, sad to say, many women around the country and even young women, they know all about God. They've got their head full of facts. But they don't really know him in an intimate way. And, and that is something that we have to work towards. And, um, and that, that is what God wants. One man said, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And Psalms 90, 40 says, tells us, uh, David said that um, in the morning he would be satisfied with God's love. And that speaks of contentment. And contentment is realizing that I have everything I need today to be happy. And um, that is a, a character quality that all of us, I think most women, really uh, need. And we have a hard time just being content. But the greatest contentment is just learning how to be discontent in him. Whether he gives, if you're single, not having a mate, whether you're married, not having children, uh, maybe you're married and your mate isn't what you want him to be or what you thought he'd be. Uh, your children, they're not growing up how you wished and hoped and maybe they're not even living for the Lord. Um, things just aren't as you thought. But learning to be content and to say, yes, Lord, Realizing today, Lord, you've given me everything I need to be happy. And I like to think of it uh, to be joyful. And joyful, it's not that exhilarating, I'm so happy and I am just happy, happy, happy. That happiness comes from happenings. So if everything's going well, if my kids are just wonderful and obeying and, and I think, see them loving the Lord and my husband's treating me right and he's remembering things and uh, maybe it, <laughs> that he forgets. <laughs> Good, you're with me. Okay. <laughs> and maybe it's work. Um, whatever it is in life that just, it's hard. Well, realizing that joy is a deep, settled peace that God's in control. And that's a lot different from happiness. And I think that's why you see Paul when he was in jail. Um, that's why you see a lot of the martyrs 
uh, things that happened to them in years gone by. They had a deep-seated contentment, and they had a deep-seated joy. And that was, Lord, I know you're in control. And sometimes even when we know that, it's hard. Life is hard. And my husband always tells people, you know, Christianity isn't um, just hard. It's impossible. It is impossible unless we are totally dependent on the Lord. And the older you get and the longer you walk with the Lord, the more you see. If, if you don't have that close, loving relationship with the Lord, um, you're going to get attacked. We're going to get attacked, and we do get attacked. But learning to just to find our satisfaction in the Lord like David did. And it's a learning process. It doesn't happen overnight. And I think if there's anything I'm learning as I get older, you know, we, we, you know, we hear things. We want to be like this, and we want this quality, and we want that. And so we do want to practice those. But it is God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's God who produces that fruit. Sometimes I think we think we're the producers. But no. And, I, and what an excellent um, message Joan had for us on prayer. And it is the abiding in the Lord that causes that fruit to come forth. Um, Jesus told us to love him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind. And he said the second is, comes alongside it. He said to love others as well as you love yourself. He said everything hangs on these two pegs, loving him and loving others. Everything else in life hangs on those. So if he isn't the one we are pursuing with all of our heart and our soul and our mind, then life isn't going to be as he would have it to be. And we're not going to be able to love other people unconditionally. And we are not going to have the love and compassion. Compassion is your hurt in my heart. And if, if I don't understand how much the Lord loves me, And just believe it, even though I know I am so unworthy. And most of us here, I would think, we probably feel so unworthy. We know the Lord loves us, but we feel so unworthy because we know what we are. We know our hearts are desperately wicked. And God does too. Thank God he loves us in spite of us. So as we learn to love him, then, then we can give that love unconditionally to other people. Um, second thing is to know him and pursue him daily and again you've heard a lot about this so um, but it's our privilege ladies and it's our responsibility if, if we're his daughter Mary of Bethany is an ex- a wonderful example of maintaining the main thing or focusing on the heart of the matter in the middle of your, your handout there I have some notes, um, just some thoughts there about Mary and Martha. Um, I teach a women of the Bible class. I've taught it for 40-some years. 
Um, but I find I learn so much from the ladies in the Bible. And you learn their strengths, their weaknesses, their failures, their heart, all the things they went through. And, and that's why when I was still single, I started doing that uh, for devotions and just got my hand on every book I could that had to do with women in the Bible. And then we went to Northland. I, so many colleges, they didn't have any um, really Bible classes for women. And um, I thought, I want to have a Bible class for women. So when later, when the Lord brought Dr. Olala and Dr. Vaughn um, to, at, to be the president there at Northland in the earlier years, I asked him, I said, do you think we could have a Bible class for women? And so the Lord used the time in my devotions. They said, put it together. And so ever since then, I've just enjoyed teaching women about women of the Bible. And I figure God put them there for a reason. And a lot of women don't know about a lot of women in the Bible. They know a few, but not a lot. So anyways, let's look at Mary just for a minute. Mary was a spiritual scholar. This is Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were very close to Jesus. And whenever he was on his way to Jerusalem, he'd always go to Bethany and he'd stay at Mary and Martha and Elizabeth's home. And she, uh, she was a spiritual scholar. She was a sorrowful sister. She was very tender. She was very sensitive. Sensitivity is exercising your senses so you can perceive the true spirit of those around you. How sensitive are you? I'm not talking about being super sensitive because um, people hurt you. I'm talking about how sensitive are you to other people? Are you aware? Can you look in their eyes? Can you feel through their spirit? And I really, that, that's what God wants for us. And as we spend, as Joan talked about, time in prayer, time in the word, God develops that sensitivity in our hearts. If we let him, if we let him break us, and we are fully surrendered. But that's how she was. And she was especially like that to Jesus. She was an effective evangelist. Scripture says after she had, I didn't put the whole thing there, that they believed on him. Uh, she was a grateful giver. I have there, Martha stands for service. Mary stands for worship. Mary was always found at the feet of Jesus. Are you found at the feet of Jesus every day? I think that's been another little theme kind of through this um, last night and today. In Mary's house, Martha listens, or Mary listens and is silent. At her brother's grave, she weeps and is silent. In the house of Simon, she works and is silent. The only time Mary is repeat. Um, uh, Mary um, is repeating a complaint is when um, is in John 11:32, and that's when her brother had died and she said, "Lord, Lord, if you had been here." And then the nature of her giving, it was costly. And Judas criticized her for it, but he had ulterior motives, but it was commended by Jesus. 
he said, she's done a, a good work on me, or she's wrought a good work. That should be me, not one. Um, and it was commemorative. Uh, Jesus said, what she has done shall be told in memory of her. So she's an excellent model of someone who loved the Lord, who knew him, who wanted to be with him and spend time with him. On the back is the application asking questions. Do we constantly anoint him as the chosen? Is he the chosen of your heart? Are we perfumed? With, are his feet perfumed with our richest gifts? She took that perfume and she wept. She was preparing him because she knew what was coming down the pipe for Jesus, so to speak. She was getting him ready for the crucifixion. Are we doing what we can for him? Martha, on the other hand, and this isn't because Martha sometimes gets a real bad rap. But Martha, Jesus didn't rebuke Martha for having a desire to be a good hostess. But he wanted to remind her about her priorities. Martha had allowed the necessary to get out of the proportion. She was so busy doing that she didn't sit at Jesus' feet. And isn't that just like us a lot of times? You get up, you get up late if you have to go to work, and you just, you get going, get your coffee, get your throw, throw your clothes on, even taking kids to school, and we don't take time to sit at the feet of Jesus. But <clears throat> that's, what Mar that's why Jesus said, Martha, Martha. He wasn't mad at her. There's, there's always things to be done, but he was saying, Give me your attention. Just come be with me. And <clears throat> in order to be a productive for the Lord, remember to enjoy him by spending time with him. So those are just a few thoughts on, um, but she is our example. example. Uh, she chose the necessary thing. She pursued Christ and she was purposeful about it. Are you pursuing the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind? Are other things your pursuit? Sports, ed education, money, marriage, relationships. What is the thing that you, with all your heart, that you are pursuing? And the Lord wants it to be Christ. He said, to know him and to love him is a long, is a lifelong pursuit. And you know, the older we get, the more purposeful we must be. It's easy to get lazy, rest on our laurels, or what it used to be. It's easy to get distracted from the main thing. It's easy to get distracted from... Uh, the heart of the matter, and that is to know him and love him and enjoy him. Timothy warned us, don't get entangled with the affairs of the world. Don't get distracted. Hebrews tells us that if we're going to run this way, race, we need to lay aside those things that so easily beset us and keep us from looking unto Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. 
Many times we just settle for the good rather than the best. And I see that around the country. So many Christians, they settle just, just for what's good. And they're not pursuing the very best. And Christ is the one to pursue the very best. Um, let me read you. I love Amy Carmichael. And she's a favorite of, of mine. And here's what she said. Um, and she's got several books. This one is it's a devotional. It's called um, I Come Quietly to Meet You. And probably most of you have heard of Amy Carmichael. She's a missionary in India. She helped save little girls who were taken as temple prostitutes. And then she started helping little boys, too. She had a, a, just an unbelievable ministry over there. But she says, <clears throat> my father, as, only, as if I'm the only one in your universe right now, as if you are all that matters in mine, forgive me for the days I thought meeting with you was insignificant compared with all that I had to do. I come quietly to meet you, Father, needing to be loved and needing to love you. And isn't that the need of all of our hearts? We all want to be loved. And the Lord wants to love us. He wants to lavish his love on us. And if we don't take time for him and we're not with him, we won't know that love. We'll just settle for, well, yeah, I know the Lord. And you'll settle for busyness in your church. Um, keeping God's word as a treasure is what uh, Proverbs talks about. Faithfulness to the Lord and his word and spending time with him. It will spawn faithfulness in your heart and it will spawn love for the Lord. But if you're not in the word, um, you, you won't, your love won't grow. It's just like when you're married or if you have a friendship. If you're not spending time with each other, your love won't grow. It'll just kind of stay mediocre. And so many times we're so satisfied or just content that, well, it's not bad, so it's okay. But that's not the way, what the Lord wants for us. And I think you've heard that through the heart of Desiree. You've heard it through Joan's heart. And um, he, he just wants that loving, intimate relationship with you. And in Proverbs 2, 4, and 5, um, Solomon said, If you seek, uh, for sil if you seek uh, God's word as silver and search for it, as a hidden treasure. Is it a treasure to you? Or are your diamonds and your jewels, your home, are those more important to you than the word of God? How precious is the word of God to you? And <clears throat> he tells us in Jeremiah 29, um, if you search for me and you seek for me with what? All your heart, not just passively, well, this is something I need to do today. But you seek for me with all your heart. What did he say? You'll find me. Don't you want to find the Lord? Don't you want to know him? Not just a head knowledge and not, not just academically, but that 
personal relationship, that intimacy. Um, let me read to you um, a couple testimonies. Uh, the American Bible Society is a place where we send some money and it takes um, Bibles all over the country, all over the world. And here's a, here's a little boy. His name is Camille. And it says he's endured a lifetime of violence and loss. He has always known the pain of being fatherless. Then just as 10 years, then at just 10 years old, he became an orphan when his mother was killed in South Sudan Civil War. And says the pain of losing his mother sharpened Camille's longing for a father even more. When describing his life in those days, Camille often mentions missing the love of a father or having someone to turn to when, uh, when he was hungry or when he had a problem. Kamal eventually moved in with his grandma, but she was very poor and is often hungry. Recently, Kamal, he was given a Bible from the Bible Society. It was the first Bible he ever read. He has since given his life to Jesus and is growing in his faith, and he studies the scripture, 10 years old. He told us, I read my Bible three times a day, and my favorite verse is John 3.16. It tells me the importance of being loved by God and helps me to live a better life that will shape my future. He keeps his Bible as his most precious possession. Is that your heart? We have so many Bibles in our home. How often do you open them and read them and love the Lord and let him love you? He said he was very serious when he said, I love my Bible as I love my food. I don't know if that's the case here in America. Here's another one. Frida lives in Mahali, Africa. Hers is the poorest, one of the poorest countries in the world. Yet this young lady found her grass uh, thatched hut in the village where she grew up with four brothers and two sisters. She says, our house looked fine by our standards. Well ventilated, far away from the overgrown bushes. You talk about contentment. From her home, it was just a short walk to the primary school. She attended until she was six years old. Until the day everything in her life changed, the headmaster of the school asked little Frida to come to his office. He locked the door behind her, and he assaulted her. He was arrested, and Frida was left traumatized and in despair. She says, I wish I was dead. I lost my self-esteem, had no peace of mind. And that's what happens when women are assaulted. I've counseled hundreds and hundreds. She goes on to say, the stares and the teasing from all the other students drove me to drop out of school. Here she is, six years old. She eventually enrolled at a different school 
that was several miles from her village where she didn't know anyone. During those painful years, Rita continued to attend church and, and uh, with her parents. But without a Bible, she couldn't understand, and she had difficulty even with the teachings. She said, I felt desperate not to have a Bible. But she says, thanks to the generosity of the American Bible Society, there was a Bible written in her language. And I remember when we went to Guam, a number of the islands, they didn't have Bibles in their um, language. They're working on them, but how many Bibles do all of us have? Look how much we take it for granted. And then she said she was so excited the day that she got a Bible. The Bible brings hope in my life. And it enhances my understanding of God. And she says, I can't believe we have a Bible in our own language now. And then in Cambodia, and it's known as one of the poorest countries, there's forced lockdowns, loss of crucial industries, tourism, etc. When she asked the heart, well, when the hardest times in her life, 14-year-old Shanghai described lacking the money to buy rice, another basic food. Since there's no transportation, he walks five kilometers, which is three miles, to school each day from the rural farming village where he lives. To help his family get by, he tries to work picking vegetables wherever he can. As hard as the pandemic has been for Shanghai and his family, he reflects on the best thing that ever happened. Much to his surprise, he was, um, there were Bibles provided for him and his family. And here's he said, I felt happy and I wanted to read it immediately. He says, the Bible has lots of influence on my behavior and my decisions. And I've become more friendly and I've learned how to handle my emotions. And I just share a few of those. And, and there are so many more. But I just share those with you. To help us see maybe how complacent we are here in America. You know, we get, we're just, um, we just get complacent and we take things for granted. And um, I have to finish here in a minute. I have a whole lot more. But um, <clears throat> when it comes to us being in the place of surrender and following the Lord, a true disciple isn't just someone who goes to church and does good things at church. But there's three characteristics that ought to characterize our life. And as you study Christian and women in history, and as you study Paul's life and, and different ones throughout Scripture, Joseph, um, just, just so many, there's three things. Being a disciple, it's not going to be convenient. And what do we like in America? Convenience. You know, if we have to wait three minutes to warm something up, you know, we're like, oh, come on. We got to eat and we got to go. Or it's not going to be convenient to be his disciple. And it's not always going to be comfortable. Many of you have been put in very uncomfortable situations. And 
I have myself. But it's part of being a disciple. But we don't like that. We want to be comfortable. We make everything comfortable in our home. We make everything comfortable in our car. We make everything comfortable in our office. We're all about comfort, creature comforts. And then it's going to cost us something. We don't know what it is to sacrifice like these children, like these people in faraway countries that have absolutely nothing. And maybe that's why they treasure the Bible so much. Maybe that's why they know the Lord in a way that probably most of us don't. Because we don't know what it is to not be comfortable, to not have convenience, and to have to pay a price. But those are three characteristics that come as I grow to know and love the Lord. Are they characteristic of your life? If we're going to finish our race strong, it's only going to be by being with him every day. Don't let the urgent take priority over the most important, your relationship with the Lord. Beware of the barrenness of a busy life. Because when we get busy, it can get barren. Because if we get busy, we generally neglect that which is the most important. When we take time for him, he makes time for all that we need to do. And I have seen this. The Lord has shown me this so many times. You know, sometimes you think, oh, I need to get going. Need but no, Lord, I want to be with you. And, and it's not something to check off your list. I did my devotions. Now, now let me just say this, because some of you, if you struggle with having devotions, and I used to tell the girls, um, many college girls, they had never established a devotional life. But it might seem like a duty at first. And that's okay. Because through that duty, through your doing, God's going to give you a desire. And then through that desire, you're going to continue to discipline yourself. And through that discipline, that desire is going to grow. And then that's when you become devoted. So it does start, maybe start out as a duty. How do I do this? What do I do? And another little thing I used to do with the girls, and I do even in my class um, when I'm counseling and discipling, and I started back on it myself, and I had it, but I forgot to bring it. I take three-by-five cards, and memorization, renewing the mind, as you've heard, is a very important part of our growing in the Lord and, and growing close to Him. So I have the girls write out their verses on this card, one verse per card, and in character qualities. We do a character quality study and um, have 48 character qualities they learn. And, and I have them write it out so that you can carry that with you wherever you're at. So if you're at the grocery store, um, you're in the bathroom, wherever, if you're doing laundry, you have those cards, and I put a little ring on them, hole punch and put a ring, and 
So then by the end of the semester, or if I counsel with someone, they have all these verses that they've memorized, but then they can go back and meditate on them. And, and those of you that do counseling and um, help people, and even for yourself, like I said myself, I've, I've just started again just writing out a ton of verses, and, um, but it's a practical, helpful way but, um, to help us keep the main thing the main thing. But in summary, let me just say, worship before you work. Praise him before you start plotting. Adore him, I'm sorry, sacrifice before you serve. Praise him before you plod. Adoration before attending. And that's the way to keep growing in the Lord. That's a way to keep getting closer to the Lord. On the back, there's a number of questions to ask yourself. How's my love life with Jesus? Do I worship and adore him daily? How much time am I spending learning and growing in the Lord through the word and prayer? Who am I discipling? And this, we didn't get to the Titus 2 part, but who am I discipling right now? Am I being and I'm becoming a Titus 2 woman? Is my life touching another's life? How many unsaved people do I know, do I do life with? Am I being intentional and building relationships with lost people? Jesus was a friend to sinners. Who have I told lately about Jesus? Have I led anyone to Jesus lately? How's my heart? And what am I doing with my hands and feet? Mary's a picture of the heart of Jesus. Martha had the hands of Jesus. But we need them both. We need Mary's heart and Martha's feet. So that's all I can do now. So hopefully something was helpful to you. And thank you for the time.